knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. There we go. What is going on, boys and girls? That's the sound of the Bass Kayak and Beers podcast on the Paddle and Fing Network. Uh, it's your boy Armando, and thank you for joining us for today. We got a great episode for you today. We got Cody Milton. Angler of the Year for the Hobie BOS. Right now, today is, I think, the 17th of November. Um, Cody is going to be on the reel down. And when I say today, obviously, I mean the day with Cody. Cody is going to be on the reel down with the guys from the reel down, Jimmy Skinner and um, Dan Perry. So we're all part of the Paddle and Finn family. So I didn't want to have to have my episode and then following day have uh, uh, the reel down with the same guest, Cody Milton. So, um, you know, I can't give you really a a recap of my week because by the time this air is going to be the first week of December. Like I said, we kind of want to uh, not double down on the same week back to back with the same guests because we want to cover different things and want this to make it enjoyable for you guys. I know most of you that listen to me also listen to the other Paddle and Finn episodes like the, the Reel Down, uh, Bass Fishing for Noobs. You know, the hunting episode. We have so many episodes. We have one every week. So want to do our best to kind of like spread the wealth um, and grow the kayak fishing community and make it all, you know, enjoyable for you guys um, and not bore you with this kind of the same narrative on back-to-back days. But regardless, Cody Milton had an amazing year, uh, not only at the Hobie BOS, but the KBF. Um, I started getting hooked on tournaments about three years ago. And that's where kind of Cody Milton was up and coming um, kayak angler. By then, I think Russ Snyder kind of dominated the headlines. And Cody Milton was just rising to the top. And since then, he's really established himself as one of the best anglers uh, in kayak bass fishing. I've had it multiple times on my podcast. It's always enjoyable when great conversations uh with Cody and I always feel like I learned a lot. He was actually my first guest, uh, like big guest that I had like tournament angler that I had before I moved into paddle and fin. Um, so I'm always thankful for Cody. I was really excited the first time I had Cody. I'm like, finally I get somebody like the big name in tournament fishing back then. I only had like 70 listeners in, uh, my little bass kayak and beers podcast with now with paddle and fin. You know, obviously the brand has grown in. I really appreciate you guys. Uh, I've always encouraged you guys, if uh, if you have any ideas for the show, I'm more than willing. You know, this guy, this show is for you guys, um, for you to enjoy it. Jay uh, Valentin messaged me 
the other day and he wanted me to bring more tournament directors and do an episode like I did with Chris Morales highlighting the Texas Kayak Bass League. So, Jay, I listened to your advice. I am trying to get Duke Trend and Jeremy Baker. I'm waiting for Duke Trend to release his schedule for the North Texas Kayak Fishing. So as soon as that happens, I'll reach out to him and have him on and uh, and also promote uh, all those Texas trails. So thank you, Jay, for your suggestion. And again, you guys can follow me on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube, Bass Kayak and Beers. Um, and you can email for email me for any suggestion at BassKayakAndBeers at gmail.com. So again, thank you so much for supporting the show. Uh, big shout out to my sponsor, Douglas Rods. Go to douglasoutdoors.com. Check out the full lineup of LRS, X-Matrix, and award-winning fly fishing rods. We'll go to a quick Waypoints commercial. We'll have Cody Milton join us. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products, and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com So Cody Milton, how you doing, man? Doing well. How are you doing? Very good, man. First of all, congratulations, man. You've done another amazing year. First time that I know of that somebody has won multiple AOIs on, on different national trails, you know, like KBF and then Hobie BOS. How does that feel to be the first one to do that? It feels pretty good. I think, I think Drew's, you know, Drew won the Bassmaster one this year. Yeah. And so he's, I think he's the only other, other one that's got two. So now I guess it's the race to who gets all three of them. <laughs> well, man, you've definitely, you, both of you are, at the top of your game this year, um, do with the Bassmaster Kayak Series and you with KBF and the Hobie BOS. Have you, did you even uh, fish any of the Bassmaster Series? I, I didn't this year. I fished the Classic and I mean, all, all three of the schedules were like kind of so heavy this year on events um, that now I, I kind of, I, I chose to just do two of them this year. I'm definitely doing um, quite a bit of the Bassmasters next year though. Are you excited about uh new tournament director? I know it hasn't been announced. I'm not sure if you know who it is already, but are you excited of? Uh, of I am. What no, I, no, I think they've got some. I mean, it sounds like they're going to have some really good people, you know, in in some of the places that we need to have them. So I'm I'm excited about that. Um, yeah, a lot of right. that like it'd be someone that's you know has a lot of experience with it, you know, within the kayak industry already. So that is exciting. Yeah, I think um, Bassmaster is really going to benefit from having stability. Mm-hmm. By that I mean somebody with experience uh, fishing trails and national trails and and knowing the ins and out of how to run a kayak tournament. So excited for that. Hopefully, you know it's it's been a it's been a rocky road for them moving forward. I'm I'm a fan of it. Uh, I know a lot of times I'm heavy on the criticism, but uh, I've always said I want them to grow. 
Um, and I want them to grow. I think it's great for kayak fishing if Bassmaster can kind of figure it out and grow. But sometimes things need to be kind of called out respectfully yeah. in order to make changes. And yeah. that's what we all wanted. So, yeah, I think you got it exactly right. Exactly. So there we go. But let's talk about, first of all, the Hobie BOS, man. Before we dive in into the actual TOC, which I'm very interested to to hear the story about it because I've said it on the podcast before moving, going on to the TLC. Once the regular season was done, I was like, there is no way Cody Milton's going to lose the AOI. I was like, there will be the biggest upset or surprise if Cody yeah. Milton, because first of all, of who you are. And second of all, it's cattle Lake. And I've seen what you've done on cattle Lake. And yeah. I don't know if you ever struggled on Cattle Lake, but from what I've seen, I mean, I remember the KBF National Championship with you and Guillermo. Just, mm-hmm. I mean, you guys went on an absolute tear, just battling one of the most exciting uh, tournaments to kind of follow on um, on Tourney X. Well, actually, that was Fishing Chaos. But anyways, follow online. And it was one of those tournaments that I feel like, man, I wish it, this would have been televised because you guys were – the yeah. last hour, just like you that know, was... leapfrogging each one with like 20, 20 plus inch bass. It was exciting. So going into the Hobie BOS, the TOC, I figured there's no way he's gonna lose it. Uh obviously you got one of the, you have one of the most uh one of the best best anglers in, in Christine Fisher, you know riding your tail at, at, at the at the second spot and that she's always a threat um but eventually you you got you, you know you needed what you needed to get to the aoy but before we actually dive into the tlc how was your season for the hobie bos how what worked for you early on that allowed you to stay so consistent Man, honestly, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure I took my first three finishes of the year. I know I took the first two, and I can't remember if you follow was in between Broken Bow or not. But, man, honestly, the shortest answer is just the springtime. Um, I feel like we had a lot of tournaments where we had pretty predictable weather during the week um, and even throughout the event. Like, we had some really – our first three tournaments of the year were – I don't know, I guess you could say – it's kind of like a little bit of a power fisherman's paradise um, somewhat, especially with like Santee Cooper being three to four foot high. And it, they were, I mean, there was bass spawning like crazy on that lake. Um, and to, I mean, I guess broken bow is a little different. I didn't, there wasn't a whole lot of fish like actually on beds at that point in the year. Um, but it was another deal where I could cover a whole lot of water. Like I was pretty much dead sticking a big spook on pole timber and in shade pockets and, other than that, it was just kind of chasing that that swim jig and spinnerbait bite all throughout the spring, um, which is definitely what I'm best at and have the most confidence doing is is kind of I don't know following that you know following those those bigger fish during the the start of the spring. It's always been it's definitely my favorite thing to do. Yeah, you've been known as to me as one of the if not the best. Um, how do you describe it? Bed fishing or spawning? Uh, fisherman, you know, you've always seemed to do great. I remember Hobie BOS here in uh, Lake Fork, what was it, three years ago, I want to say? You did amazing. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I remember that. I had you on the podcast, and one of the things that I was like, man, that is awesome, is you you were working a big bass for something like 15 minutes. Like, oh, I think 
you, you sure. <laughs> it came off and then you set for 15 minutes waiting for her to come back. Eventually you got it. That's, I think that's one of the, uh, yeah, I think the that, best fishing stories I've heard. Yeah. That was like the fifth one I caught. I think it was like, the, it was the Bassmaster on Lake Fort, I think. But Bass yeah, Master, no. I thought it was Hobie Beal. Oh no. Yeah. It was Bassmaster, right? Bassmaster. Yeah. I broke, I was one of the only fish I hadn't had marked in practice. And she was like really cruising hard and I broke her off. And then she came like, came right back in 10 minutes and just sat right there and ate again. That was pretty cool. I kind of forgot about that. <laughs> no, that was an interesting one. Yeah. And um, when you saw when you saw the schedule for Hobie BOS and you noticed, you know, okay, Kato is going to be at the – it's going to be the TOC. Were you just kind of like salivating when you saw this? Like before you even knew you were going to be, you know, at the top of the list. I'm yeah. assuming you were just salivating when you saw that. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone in the room was, you know, because, I mean, everyone there, you know, the top 50, we'd spend all week there. And for the most part, I would say everyone had a pretty decent practice. I didn't hear of a lot of people that, you know, didn't at least get some big fish every day or something like that. So, yeah, no, I think we were all pretty excited to be coming back there during the probably the best part of the year for Caddo. Um, definitely when it's more of a tree fishery with those fish spawning on the trees. Um this was, I mean, this, yeah, this, the TOC was a little different as far as like, it's such a good shad fishery that it, yeah. with all the grass and things like that, it, it did turn into a little more of a schooling type fishery than it normally would have. Going, uh, reflecting back on the season, what, you know, you, you were consistent, you didn't win one, but you were always seemed like, I think your worst finish was, well, in the top three was fourth place or something like that, right? You, yeah. you. So what, I mean, you touched on it a little bit about being the springtime. Is there any, was there any other factor that allowed you, would you say, other than just being in the right season, what, you know, helped you stay so consistent? Yeah, I've, I've talked about this a little bit. Um, it, it is the first, it's the first year I've fished in three years out of the same boat. Um, and I generally, I'm not a big fan of, I feel like there's about five different kayaks that are the best kayaks for five or six different things that we, that you have to do to be successful. Um, but man, that, the Hobie PA 12 360, like that thing's pretty legit. Like I can, I can pretty well launch it anywhere I need to. And, um, it moves through, it moves through trees well, and it actually paddles as good as, I mean, you're not going to paddle a PA 14 super well, but like, I feel like that PA 12 is just like, just on the cusp of kind of being a hybrid on everything, which, I mean, if you're going to travel around the country, you kind of need a little bit of the best of all worlds sometimes. So, I mean, that that's the only thing I really kept really, there was the only thing I really kept the same this year that I hadn't kept the same for years prior. Um, and I mean, yeah, I mean, it really did feel, I don't know. It did feel a lot more normal being in that boat all year than jumping back and forth between three or four different platforms. One of the things that I remember when you were on the podcast, you were, um, I think you were fishing a KBF trail one and two. And then the day one, you were, you had a new, I don't know if it was sponsorship or what, but you had new electronics that you were trying for the first time. And I think they want you skunked. And then the second day you just took all the electronics out and just said, screw it. I'm just going to fish, you know, to my confidence. Yeah. What has changed from that point? I think that was about two years ago. Yeah. 
Yeah. How are you now with electronics? Have do you still rely on all electronics? I mean, are you relying more on electronics now, or do you still go by instinct? Not a lot. Um, I mean, I, I have live scope, like I have twin graphs set up on my depth finders, but I would say 90%. I think the only tournament I fished with two graphs on my on my boat all year was at Toledo Bend. And I probably only used them for about 10 minutes, like somewhere during that first day. Um, and then I never, I didn't ever use it anymore after that. Now, I don't know. I'm kind of weird. Like I, I use it as a GPS a whole lot more than a depth yeah. finder. Um, I don't like having the sonar. I mean, I've swam under boats. I know how loud they are. Um, I mean, you can even see how shad goes up and down whenever you have them on or versus not having them on. So it's like, I don't know. They, they kind of bother me, especially in shallow water where I like prefer to find myself come tournament day. Yeah. But, I've noticed, um, when I started fishing, I had an Ascent 12 T mm -hmm. and you know, I'm not say that I'm nowhere near close to your level back then, but I fished for almost half a year without no electronics. And I found, you know, I'm, I found success after a couple of few months. Then I got the electronics and I always thought, you know, that kind of distracted me and took away from what the instincts that I built on it. And recently I had a replacement hole for my Hobie P, uh, PA-14. I hadn't had time to put the electronics and I've gone twice. And the same thing that I'm, and I, and I think to myself, how bad, I mean, how counterproductive is that the ping from that sonar? Um, I, and I wish somebody had the science. And I know yeah. probably none of the companies that built that want that information to be out if, if in fact, it is accurate. But mm -hmm. I've always found myself like I've had, my best days have been without even using my sonar. I understand that maybe like uh, 100 degrees summer, you kind of want to find how deep they are. Maybe if they're like 20, 30 feet deep and you find them, so you're not going to find them without a sonar at that point. Maybe the ping is not going to affect them that much. Yeah. But I feel like, for example, Jordan Marshall, who is, uh, uh, you know, great shallow water fisherman, he doesn't use one. And I think we get so caught up in the electronics. And if you have a little bit of instincts, if you develop a little bit of instincts, where do you think they are? What makes sense to you as to where they're going to be and kind of what that, you know, considering the weather, the uh, time of year, the wind, uh, the type of lake. And that doesn't come automatically. That just comes with time on the water. Mm -hmm. I think you find that without electronics, you can be just as even maybe more successful. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it, it's there's just I don't I feel like. uh I mean, we have a lot of really, really good junk fishermen in our yeah. sport. We're like, like a Guillermo's unbelievable junk fisherman. Um, I'm even a little bit of a junk fisherman, I think myself. But it's, I feel like a lot of the people that win on a regular basis are a little more specialized than probably of that of the bass boat world. Which, if you look at like how bass boat world originally originated with people being more specialized, you know, it's yeah. like. A, or flipping or or a timmy horton you know deep cranking things like that or a rick clun throwing a spinnerbait but now i feel like our sport i don't know it does seem a little more specialized it's like you know like ewing's that you know by far you know the best live scoper that we have yeah. or you know by far the best jerkbait fisherman we have and um yeah you know like or a rest my probably the best flipper that there you know is and so it's 
Um, and I don't know, I feel like when you have a kayak and you have an ability to launch anywhere and in, in most places it's public, um, I don't know. It kind of gives you the ability to find the water that you're looking for that, you know, want to spend your time in. When you say just for, um, for maybe audience that may not be familiar with the term junk fisherman, what would, what is it that you define as junk fisherman? Cause obviously it's not an insult when you're saying Guillermo no. Gonzalez is a I junk mean, fisherman. I, I, <laughs> than anyone yeah i mean or just as much as anybody no it's i mean it's when you've i don't know it's like you, you know you know you're in a pretty good area and you're rolling down a bank and there's a lay down in front of you so you're going to throw a square bill on the end of the lay down and then you're going to probably pick up a jig and flip the dead middle of it and then go around and there might be a little patch of reeds you know or some lily pads that you flip a frog around like you're just fishing what's in front of you not necessarily fishing a pattern as much so yeah way to put it so there you go. For those that are listening, it's not, when we say junk fisherman, it's not an insult. I know yeah. it kind of sounds that way, but it's not. It's that's the uh, that's what we meant by when we say junk mm -hmm. fisherman. What is? Do you consider yourself like an all around, or do you consider yourself more of a specialist or a junk fisherman, or maybe all around? Man, probably a little more of a junk fisherman. I, I really haven't. I haven't had a good electronic tournament. And even like even the San Clair tournament that I won on a jerkbait this year, like I just kept my depth finder off. Like they, like I couldn't get them any more. You know, I couldn't get them like 300 yards further than where I was catching them. Like they were all just in one spot. So I would just sit there and I don't know, be, you know, be quiet. I guess is the way I think about it. Um, so no, I don't know. Um, I need to use it more. <laughs> I need to use my graphs more. I feel like, but I definitely don't. Um, I don't know. I'm probably not relying on them enough in some cases. Well, it, it's funny that you mentioned you need to or that you're not relying on enough. Like, what else do you have to do? <laughs> like, you already AOY for a KBF and OBBOS. Um, Seems like if you ever become an expert at uh, electronics as well as you are as junk fishing, game over for everybody else. Like, at that point, it's, let's just go for second place. Like, now Cody Milton is no is an all around fisherman and can now use his electronics to find fish at thirty feet depth. That's probably unfair for the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, I mean it. Does, it puts more options ahead too. I mean that's why like I don't like the summer as much. Like I feel like your options in the spring are so much more limited. You know, it's like as you as the year goes on, I feel like you just have more options and more things become possible. Um, which makes it where an angler has to make more decisions. So it's, I don't know, the more decisions you have to make, the more of them you have to get right to do well, I feel like. So I don't know. I think it's another part of why I don't do as well that time of year. That's that's something that I wanted to touch on because it seems like you really capitalize. And I think you mentioned it on the KBN podcast. I think mm -hmm. there was a, a week where they had no tournaments. And I think I don't I think it was Jeff Mallard. I think Ryan Lambert wasn't that on that episode. But regardless, you were, you know, you were there to talk about how you were leading on both tournaments. And you mentioned something along the lines like the schedule for both tournaments, both KBS and Hobie BOS kind of helped you out because they, they really did put they really did a good job of chasing the spawn, especially mm -hmm. early in the season. And that kind of like not on purpose, but really played to your strength. Um, do you feel, do you still, now that you look back at, at it 
you know, now that you can rest on your laurels, kind of at least until the next season, um, you feel that that is accurate that, you know, you were really not on purpose, but just really uh, took advantage of, of the scheduling. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. And like, even more so, I think, I think three of the first six tournaments I fished were all Cypress tree lakes. Um, and you know, that, I mean, that's always hard. I don't know. That's hard for me to not get excited about <laughs> like going to a Cypress tree lake. Um, but yeah, and, and I think KBF was, I want to say we had, I want to say like two of the first three tournaments were all within two to three days of a new or a full moon. So it was like, not only was it great lakes during the spawn, I mean, it was like when it was really going down too. Um, like that Gunnersville tournament we had earlier this year, I still like even having lived in Florida for a few years, I think that was the most bass I'd ever seen locked on a bed. Was it, was it um, Gunnersville that last weekend of April this year? Is it, do you really feel more pressured um, when you go halfway through the season, the spawn bite, you know, the, the tournaments now focus on finding cooler weather, maybe going up north, maybe going to Wisconsin, because now we're in the dead of summer. So we, there's not as many tournaments down south. If you didn't do as well as you would have wanted on, you know, the first part of the season, how does that affect you, you know, as far as your preparation, if you feel like, man, I, I didn't take advantage of the spawn bite like I wish. Now I'm kind of like, you know, the my strongest time, it did not work out. Do you, that put pressure on you to kind of perform at, at you know, at, towards the dead of summer when it's harder for you, you know, like you mentioned, not being as proficient with electronics? Man, a, a little bit. Um... I don't know, for whatever reason, it seems like I'm always do one good small random smallmouth tournament a year. Uh, it's It's been that way for the last three years. So, um, and most of those have been river tournaments too. So I feel like the only me, the only me catching up is, is usually like one or two of those river tournaments, whether it's a Susquehanna or New River um, or lacrosse. I mean, I think we've got lacrosse on the schedule a couple times again this next year. Um, and that place has always been good to me. But yeah, I mean, if, if there's not a river tournament on the schedule, yeah, absolutely. And at Dardanelle, the only the, I thought that I could do better at Dardanelle than I did, even it being in September. There's some good things that I can do that time of the year at Dardanelle, and um, I don't know, it didn't happen as much as anything. I probably just was losing momentum. I felt like probably you know as much as anything. Were you were you kind of disappointed towards you know when you when like you said Dardanelle? By the time Dardanelle was was Darnell the Darnell was the last of the Hobie BOSP of the regular season, right? Was yeah. Were you disappointed with how you did, you know, towards the last, you know, last second half of the season? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I went up to Wolf and Fox, had a pretty terrible tournament there. Didn't even really have a very good practice. And uh Darnell was kind of the opposite. I had a pretty good practice. I felt like I knew one of a few areas that the tournament should have been one in or could have been one in. Um, and I don't know, I think the first day I was in the top 10 and just had to stick like way too many fish. And I don't know, it was a poor tournament. I, don't, I didn't even catch a limit the second day, like on a, on a lake that I've probably fished as many tournaments. Unheard of. <laughs> yeah. Like I've probably, I mean, I've probably, probably fished 50 plus tournaments on that lake and yeah, it was, it was a brutal weekend there, but yeah, it was just losing momentum as much as anything. And then 
I was excited about the KBF national championship being on Kentucky. My dad's, my dad grew up on like the back of the blood river in Kentucky Lake and my grandparents still live there. So I've, I've spent an enormous amount of time there. So it was like, I thought that I could, I thought that if I spent a lot of time there, I could kind of get some momentum back for not just that event, but even going into the TOC and yeah, it kind of, it, it all, it worked a little bit. It did. Tell, I know you said it on the, on Jeff Little, uh, by the way, um, go follow Jeff Little. The it's not the little stuff, the little things on YouTube. Little things, yeah. He's ramping up his YouTube channel, and I think it's awesome. He kind of like, which I thought it was awesome. He covered, I think it was you and uh, Russ Snyder on yep. the national championship. Um, so if you haven't watched that episode, go follow Jeff Little. By the way, Jeff Little, what I love about him is he puts a lot of content about safety. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's very important. We get entertained by big hook sets and big bass, but we forget there's, you know, when we're with Mother Nature, mm-hmm. it, it can get scary sometimes. So if if you're new to kayak fishing, and even if you're a veteran kayak fishing, go follow Jeff Little, the little things. I always call it the little stuff, and that's a movie. Um, <laughs> but the little things. And there's a lot of good content, not just entertaining, but stuff that could maybe potentially um, save your life. But... Going back to that, you, I saw you in the award ceremony and you had a black eye. And I know you mentioned yeah. it on that video. What the heck happened? So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, for well, my audience that haven't yeah. watched that video. We were checking out a, uh, I was actually with Russ and we were checking out a, I can't remember if it was a launch. I think, I think it was a takeout, actually. I don't think it was a launch. I think it was, we were checking out to see if we could take out down there. And it was just a super steep cliff off this bridge. And I had a flip-flop on. Like, one of the little flip-flop things broke. And, like, I had one flip-flop at the top of the cliff. And I had one at the bottom. Kind of, like, slid off about a 15-foot cliff. And then, like, rolled down some boulders, like, you know, down to the river. My phone was, like, probably three or four feet from going in the water. Oh my god! Um, yeah, and that's still like mine's still not perfect. It's still <laughs> it's still pretty roughed up. But other than that, you were no worse for the way, right? Like no. Yeah, other than that, it was fine. I mean, fine. I mean, still like I had a bunch of scars kind of down my left side, I guess. But it was just like some road rash. But how how scared was Russell and Jeff when when they saw you just kind of like going down that cliff? Jeff was Jeff was there that night, I think, but he didn't see it actually happen. Russ oh. kind of went into a different, you know, tone, d- different tone. It was like he was looking, at Cody, Cody, <laughs> like just looking over this cliff, seeing if I was alive. But yeah, was pretty- well, I'm glad you know worse for the win that uh, you did. How did you do in the national championship? I know Russ kind of stole the headline. He did an he did he did an amazing job. Um, but uh, tell us a little bit about the KBF national championship. Like, how did you do? Uh, I finished third in the overall national championship, and I think second in the challenge and trail series. So it was it was good. It was cold. I fell in the water like twice the first day. Um, my guides were freezing every morning except the last. Uh, it was, it was not, it was not an easy tournament, but it was, I don't know. It was one of the more fun tournaments I've ever honestly fished in as far as just having super expansive boundaries. And, um, it was just, I mean, as much time as I'd spent on Kentucky, I'd never get to see a lot of the places that I fished. So that was, that made it fun for me. You see what I take about that is you fell in the water twice. Your guides 
were frozen and the next thing you said it was one of the most fun tournaments you've done <laughs> <It was. laughs> uh, to me i would have followed that with this is the worst thing that could <laughs> worst tournament yeah. i've ever been but for you it's i can already tell you're a half glass full kind of guy yeah it's actually i i so that the first morning i had it was super cold i mean every day of practice it was really warm like didn't really really know what to expect was hoping that they'd bite a crane bait really good the first day and they actually they actually did but um like this I started on this, I started in this hole, like kind of way up a creek and made a cast, like caught a little fish, caught another little fish. And then I got like a 17 and a half, 18 inch smallmouth on and I like reached for it with the net and I just roll out the front of the kayak. I'd never fished in the boat before. Um, and then uh, I get like, I lose the fish. I don't dump the water out of my waders or anything. And I just like get back in the kayak, like pedal back up there. And I caught a 20 and a half out of the hole that I swam through. <laughs> like, right. I didn't catch any more fish out of that hole, but there was like one that was just waiting there for me. So it was, it was pretty cool. Well, congratulations on that national championship. I mean, third is nothing to sneeze at. Um, let me ask you this. I'm not from, completely familiar with what the um, the uh, the point system. Now, you want the um, AOI for the Pro Series, right? Because there's two AOIs. If that's correct, Pro Series and Trail Series, correct? I don't know. I think there's just one, but there might be two. I don't so, know. Now, yeah. The only reason why I say that is because I thought I saw Derek Brundle win AOI as well. So I was like, is that a challenge series? I don't know. Yeah, I think it was the challenge series. It was the challenge series. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, that's what it was. Okay, cool. So you going into the national championship. Now, does the cha national championship, well, I it's, it's three tournaments um, kind of like bundled in one. It's a trail championship. The uh, Pro Series Championship is that? I, I tell me, tell me what it is, because I and I and I not and I'm not you know disrespecting KBF okay. and all that. It's just that it's kind of complicated. Um, I think it's the Trail Championship, Challenge Championship, and National Championship. There we go. So, um, the points. So you had so there were still the AOI was still up for grabs, right? It has it hadn't been decided. Until the end yeah. of the uh, was it the troll? Well, yeah, the, I guess the troll championship. Yeah, and how close you know, how did that play out? Um, as far as you know, you were in the were you in the lead going into the troll championship? I think I was in fourth going, oh, really? in, yeah, I think I was in fourth, um, going into day one, anyways. Good, but I think a lot of the people that were in like first through third, I want to say didn't have the greatest day. Um, but there was, I'm trying to think, yeah, there was a lot of people that had like, the there was a lot of people in the hunt for that one. Um, there's probably like 15 different people that were, you know, had a, had a chance to be in the 10 or even win angler of the year. Were you at any point while fishing thinking about winning the AOY or was that something that once everything was said and done, you were like, Oh, I won AOY. Yeah, no, I really wasn't. Um, I, I knew if I had a good second day for the Kentucky Lake one that I assumed that it, I didn't think that it was super close, like from that point on, but the Hobie one, I mean, I had absolutely no idea. Like I could have, when we were up there, I could have just as easily finished third in my head and had no, absolutely no idea. Um, but 
Yeah, no, I don't know. I'm not good with numbers, so I don't I don't do a lot of the adding on the water. Just try to just try to get the biggest ones I can beforehand. Well, actually, I was watching. So the, to me, the the biggest story was the AOY. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, other than than winning, but going into day three, um, I, I forgot the name of the gentleman who just won it from Florida. Oh my God, Brian Nelly. Brian Nelly. So yeah. Brian Nelly, you know, by 10 a.m. that was done. By 9 a.m. it was done. It's like, oh yeah, he's gonna win it. So yeah. now it becomes like, who's gonna win AOY? Obviously, you're going in there, you want to win. I mean, because winning secures the AOY. You did kind of okay day one, day two, but I'm assuming it was not what you would have liked, right? You were kind of further back. Did you at any time during day one and day two and day three were thinking about the AOY and what you needed to do? Did Uh, that play at all a factor? Man, a a little bit after day two. Um, after day two was over, I didn't think there was any way I could go back to where I'd been fishing, um, and give myself like a reasonable chance at, at what I thought it would, at what I thought I probably needed to be like high nineties. Um, in reality, I ended up being like right at 90 inches, which I wouldn't have even thought that I probably could have got 90 inches out of that area. But based on just, there was a lot of people that struggled to catch a limit that second day. Yeah. I knew it was just going to get colder. And I mean, in all reality, I mean, I think the third day we had some of the biggest stringers, but probably some of the fewest fish caught, like as far as across the board. Um, so I didn't end up moving. Like I ended up going back to probably an area that I'm more familiar with than anywhere on Caddo. Um, and it's burned me a lot on day threes. Like I have not loved being in there before on third days. And that was in the back of my head too. It was like, it's place does have a limited amount of fish, but, um, it was really like an hour and a half. Like if the tournament would have ended at one thirty, I probably would have had like 74 inches or something. Um, it was like, I caught like a 16 and a half fish, 16 and a half incher off a grass mat. And then I caught like an 18 and a quarter off the next grass mat. And then caught a 19 and a half on a Cinco that I'd made forecast with, I'd made the forecast of the spinnerbait on the exact same side of the tree that I caught like my second biggest fish of the day was that, which was that 19 and a half. So it was just, I don't know. It was crazy how the day developed. I mean, you would have thought it was dead in the water multiple times over again. And it kind of all, it kind of all came together in about a 30 to 40 minute period. Really. Um, I caught one, I caught a 20 and a half, like it, I, it, I, caught, I think it was probably eight thirty or so. Um, which was about an hour into first cast it was the first fish I caught. And, um, I didn't get another fish for probably an hour after that. And literally didn't, I didn't have a limit till one thirty, much less like almost 90 inches after three. So it was kind of just wild how it all, all did unfold. After day one, did you at any point, uh, look at the leaderboard and started kind of doing the numbers? So like, you know, I didn't do great. Uh, Christian Fisher's, I think it was, she was in second place. I think Russ was in third place. I want to say uh, Ewan was in fourth before yep. the TOC, and then Nolan was fifth. Yep. Um, I, like I say, I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of the sport. So I was watching at it. And after day one, I'm thinking, Christian Fisher's got to be kicking herself <laughs> for not having the best day one. Cause like that, that point is like, I think all eyes, as far as the AOY goes, all eyes was on Cody Milton. Like, what is Cody Milton going to do? Yeah. Because if he has a great day, one, then it's pretty much over. Because yeah. 
I figured Cody Milton's not going to skunk day two. He's going to catch. If he catches five fish on day one, he's going to catch five fish on day two. He's going to catch five fish on day three. When, by the time day one was done, I'm like, oh, Cody's, to my surprise, I was like, damn, Cody's struggling. Christine Fish has got to be kicking herself because that was her big chance. If she would have had a really big day one or mm. even a decent, like, oh, day one, she would have put the pressure on you. After day one, were you nervous at all about the AOI, knowing that you didn't do as good as you probably would have liked? I knew, I, well, I, I'd kind of, I had hit around that number I thought I needed. So as much as I was okay with being, I didn't, have, I think I had like 88 inches or so. Um, I didn't expect Brian to catch like high 90s every day. I really thought that like being in that low 90s range a day would be fine. So I wasn't super, super bummed out about it. I think I was impressed as much about anything as I think like, man, like 85 inches was in 22nd, 23rd place after day one. So it was, I don't know. It was easy to believe just because it was probably the best day anyone was going to catch them. So I, I don't know. I just kind of felt like I needed to continue to pace myself from that point. I was a little more worried after day two when it was pretty apparent that both the minor brothers were on them pretty good. Yeah. And like their bite was just about to get stronger on the third day. Um, and it did. So it was, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I still was, I was still pretty confident after the first day. I was starting to I was starting to dwindle after the second day for sure, though. Yeah, the second day you kind of dropped. The first day you were uh, you did like sixteenth best. Second day you did nineteenth best, and at that point, um, UN was in fifteenth place. Christian Fisher had a better day, thirteenth place. Russ Snyder was number six at that point. I think Russ Snyder was. Yeah was kind of like leading in the AOY point if the AOY points would have ended on the day two. And day three, obviously, Ewing had a great day. Um, and I'm trying to look over here as I'm talking to you. And then you got – you had a, an amazing day with 80, 89 and 70 quarters to move you up to, you know, uh, ninth that day. Um when I looked, so I was looking and I figured once they announced you in uh, on the overall leaderboard on the total after day three, you were number eight. But at that point, I knew if if Ewan finishes in the top three, he wins. If Nolan finishes in the top three, he probably wins. And it was that close, like Ewan finished number in the face spot. So as soon as they announced you in the face spot, I'm like, okay, Cody is at least second second place. So now it all depends on Nolan, where Nolan Minor ended, and that was immediately after fourth place. And at that point, I figured, okay, Cody won this as far as the AOI. How nervous were you? You you announced eighth place. What In your mind, had you already done the math and figured, okay, I, you know, Russ was, Russ Snyder was out of the picture by this point. Uh, Christian Fisher was out of the picture by this point. Were you nervous of, you? were you thinking, oh, crap, where did you win or minor ended up? I really, no, I really had no idea. Uh, really? Um, no, no. And I mean, I don't think, I don't think Ewing did either. Um, At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com.
Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. I, I knew it had to have been close when Jason Broach called me and he was like, I think you may have won because he's way, you know, I don't know. He's a dude like can write, you know, any type of code for anything. So I knew, I knew he thought it must be at least be close. And man, I honestly didn't even know how close it was to be honest. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like Ewing and I were both just like not saying much, just, you know, breathing as quietly and, you know, quickly as we could <laughs> wait, wait for AJ to announce it. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's pretty wild, pretty wild. <laughs> am I? That's even funny. It's like, am I the only one that was really tuning in on this? Because I was like, man, that was all I cared about. Once you know, Brian, uh, you know, once Brian already like nine o'clock, kind of anticlimactic to his credits, you got locked down mm-hmm. compared to what we had on KBF last year, where you and Guillermo were just going at it, and at the end of the day, it was like a coin toss, like who won. There was really uh i mean it was really that tight this one was pretty much over so at you know by nine o'clock it's like okay he has it one who's gonna be the aoi you you won by less than two points that's how close it was yeah Yeah. um that was your minor ended up at you ended up at 385.1 you win at 383.3 and then uh nolan was ended up at 380.3. Let me ask you this. I know on the regular, maybe you don't know this, but I'll ask you because I'm not sure. On the Hobie BOS, like if you won, if you win big bass, you get something like two decimal points or something like that. Yeah, 0.2 or 0.3. 0.3, I think it is. And then if you win one, if you're the leader after day one, you also get like 0.5 or something like that. I think so, or even maybe 0.3. I I thought, I don't know. I think it's point, like one is 0.3 and one is 1.2. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, The only reason why I say that, because I see here people that are 0.4. So I know one of them is 0.3. So I think it's 0.3 if you win day one and, you know, decimal points, and then 0.1 if you win um, big bass. I'm going to go with that. I may not be wrong. In the hope, in the Tournament of Champions. If you win day one or day two, did they still give you those decimal points? I don't know. I don't think so, but I really don't know. It's interesting. I kind of wanted to get the. I wish I would have done the research before I got you on on this, and I was hoping you know the answer. And I wanted to also know if you know if if you want, if uh, Big Bass will get you point something, point one in this case. I think it was. Yeah. But regardless, it, I mean, it was, it was really <laughs> tight close race looking back at it is this your best year you've ever had it's definitely yeah i would say it is yeah definitely the most exciting and just as far as the amount of people that were in a lot of the tournaments that i fished this year even um i feel like that would get that goes a long ways as far as it being a little more meaningful um yeah i don't know i feel like it's i've never probably for sure said that but i would say it's probably the best year i've ever had well, once again, congratulations yeah. on it, man. Uh, I noticed I was looking at the tournaments for the Hobie BOS in um, 2023, and uh, I was looking at Cado in March. I gotta ask you, how excited are you that Cado is in March? 
Yeah, I don't I don't know if it'll break the uh I don't know. I don't what did uh I think it took 107 inches was the like the big biggest bag of the the year at Santee Cooper this year. I don't know if that'll be broken, but I think it'll be I think we might break the the overall day two, you know, right? I, two, yeah. I got two bets. It's going to be broken and it's going to be either bro- broken by you probably. Cuz I know how good you are in cattle and I know how good you are in bed fishing. Now I know this part of the country Texas, well any anything in the south is really depending on February. February is the key. You know, we've had the last two Februarys we've had ice on water. Um, you know, this year was uh was pretty bad in Lake Fork. The year before that, there was no national trails, but it was even worse. Um, for, fortunately enough, there was no national trails um, two years ago in February. So I think it really did say, if we get like a, you know, February is probably the worst winter month in Texas and kind of Louisiana as well, because it's right at the border. So if we get a mild winter, I think by March, you'll see a lot of bed fishing. If we get a really, really cold winter like we've had over the last three years, and I think that might push back the spawning uh, a little bit further down to maybe towards the end of March, the beginning of April. What are you hoping for? Man, either or. I've been out there. I've been out there when it's been like almost not necessarily snowing that time of the year, but when it's they definitely weren't on beds. And man, they they live pretty shallow that place. Um, I mean, there's definitely some of that six to eight foot water. Some guys have been catching them in recently, but I don't know. I'm definitely hoping for some, you know, warm weather where we can get the short sleeves out and hopefully look at a few of them on beds. But um, even if we don't, I mean, I still don't think the, I don't think the quality of like the size fish we see caught will change. I think it'll still be a 200 plus, you know, 200 plus inches event. And I, I think I mentioned, I said cattle, but there's also another lake. Bistano. Bistano. Yeah. Was that included in the uh the national championship two years ago for KBF? It was, yes. Did you fish that one or did you fish Cotto? I did, no. We I, um actually I think most of the people in the top ten fish Bistano. Yeah, that's what I thought. So compared I hate to ask you, but uh, <laughs> I will and you answer <laughs> you as fully as truthfully as you want to answer, because I know there's a tournament going that's gonna be there and then you don't want to spill too much of the beans here. But which one do you like more, Cato or Bistano? It's um, I like Bistano more. I, I mean, Cato, they're probably two of my favorite lakes in the country. <laughs> I mean, I'm just like literally, they're definitely both in the top three. Um, I actually spent two weeks out on Bistano before the TOC, since it was all since Cato was off limits. I actually fished out there uh, with Guillermo for three days and probably got like three six to seven pounders. So I caught bigger fish on Bistano than I did on Cato. Um, that entire week I was at Caddo actually, but I, you know, it's, it's a weird, um, there's probably more 10 to 15 pounders in Caddo and there's probably more five to eight pound fish in Bistano. This is, is it, I've, I haven't fished Bistano. Well, I haven't fished either one of them. Do, do, how do they compare to each other? Are they similar lakes? I know Caddo is a natural, I think it's a natural lake. Um, is. is Bistano the same thing, a natural lake or is this a reservoir? That you know of, I'm honestly not sure. They're definitely set up the exact same way. It's definitely a low head dam with, um, you know, just a river flowing into them. Like that, they can't control the water level on either either one of them, really. And soul cypress trees as well, and grass. It is, yep. Um, but now I don't know. Um, 
I know a lot of people down in Louisiana love Gustano and Caddo. I mean, that's kind of the two. I feel like that's the two big ones in the area. Um, I guess they've got Bussy Break, and there's another big one now. Some people have been talking. Caney Fork. Um, yeah, Caney Fork. Yeah, I feel like all one. four of those are kind of the, probably the four best lakes in the area. Nice. Well, let me ask you this, Cody, before we kind of wrap this up. I wanted to ask you, I know there's been a lot of talk about the rule changes um, uh, that some people are, you know, are wanting to happen um, mm-hmm. in all three national shows. KBF already announced that they're going to have um, some rule changes, um, you know, pre-fishing, uh, designated launches or something like that, uh, boundaries. Um Bassmaster is expected to make a similar announcement, and then we'll see what Hobie BOS is doing. Um, without going into details and controversies or anything like that, what is your stand? Do you believe that there should be a there should be rule changes? And if you believe that there's going to be rule changes, what do you think those rule changes should be? Uh, I mean, I think the certified or designated launches is the easiest one. Um, I mean, for one, it kind of polices everyone from the yeah. get go as far as just everyone being there i mean i know at the ramp i launched at this week like we all had a pretty fun time i mean we were listening to like born on the bayou and like pedaling off and i don't know i kind of missed i don't know i missed being able to launch with a lot of people like that um so i mean i think that's the easiest one that doesn't have to be overly policed or investigated to know that that's what you know it's all that's actually happening um not to say the sport couldn't use some of the other rule changes that I keep hearing about. Cause I mean, I do think that they could, and I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with any of them, but I think the certified launches is probably the best one that I, you know, keep, keep hearing and seeing. Let me ask you this, as far as the, um, uh, designated off limits. Now I go back and forth on this one. I try to look at both points, you know, as far as the growth of the sport, and I've said this on many, both on my podcast and on podcasts that I've been a guest at. Uh, this is not a spectator sport, right? This is not the NFL where, you know, you have an iconic uh, player that people tune in to watch. Um, this is not driven by sponsors, by sponsorship or revenues or TV revenues or stuff like it's really run by the money that comes out of the and, you know, the pocket of the anglers that are participating. And I made that distinction because that really changes the dynamic. You know, when you got TV rights and stuff like that, that's where you don't see athletes paying to play. They actually get paid to play. Mm-hmm. Um, our sport is different. We have to pay to play, and that is what's going to generate um, the tournament winnings. That means we grow if there's more people involved. My thought has always been, and I say this respectfully, if I want to go into the tournament and I want a chance to take down, let's say, Cody Milton, which I say it from a a fan's perspective, like there would be nothing more than me winning a tournament and say, hey, I beat Cody Milton. Now I say that with respect. It's not hatred or anything like that. It's just saying, like, I'm, I'm, you know, that's the measuring stick. You want to go out there. You, my... My uh, competitive juices get flowed when I see big names out there. You know, this is my chance to kind of go toe-to-toe with the best and see where I wreck that. You know, mm-hmm. some days I'll do great. Some days I may not do great. But I think a lot of people talking to some people, they feel like, man, I have to go against Cody Milton, which is an immense talent in kayak fishing. Um, mm-hmm. 
And on top of that, he gets like, I'm not just saying Cody Milton because you're here. This could apply to anyone. Like on top of that, he gets like maybe a week or two weeks of pre-fishing while I'm a working man. I only get like maybe if I'm lucky Thursday or Friday. And I think that's been the push for more mm -hmm. people, for people to say we want an off limits time. What are your thoughts on it? Because obviously you you get more free time to fish and you really benefit from, you know, being able to, you know, stay a week there and fish. So I know it's not in your best interest to have off-limit times limited to the day before, 48 hours before. But if if you're being objective, what is your thoughts on on on, on the perspective of maybe that being something that changes? Uh, I mean, I, do, I would love to see him go to three days. I mean, I think that's kind of the – I feel like if it ever takes you more than three days, it, I, whenever you start getting over that three-day period of practice, you can kind of almost start getting a little too dialed in almost or thinking you're getting too dialed in. Um, I don't know. I would like to see it go to three days, though. Um, I mean, there's no sense in spending two, three, you know, several weeks at a place. I'm not saying I haven't done it because, I mean, <laughs> there yeah, are, no, I mean, are there are bodies of water where it helps to do that. But more times than not, no, I mean, I think, you know, three days would be the perfect, perfect number. Um, for one, it'd save a lot of people money that, you know, because it's like if I'm not doing it, I feel like someone else is, and they probably are. So, it, you know, it definitely saved more money even for the people that do have the ability to do it, you know, versus the people that don't and are, are you know, frustrated that people are. So I think it kind of helps all, you know, kind of helps all parties, in my opinion. Let me ask you this, and this is, I know this is a personal question, so feel free to reject the question, but I'll ask you this, and this is where I want to go with or the point of these questions. Like, for, like, say, like say for example, Christine Fisher. Now, I don't know her financial situation, but uh, it seems like, she, and, and even including Russ Snyder, um, their their income is comes from sponsorship, but it also helps them out, you know, if they win tournaments. For sure. And, uh, not to say they're completely relying on that. As far as you go, as far as you, I mean, do you, is this, would you say this is your job and how reliant are you on tournament winnings to kind of keep doing what you're doing? Um, it's definitely half of it for sure. I would say it's definitely, you know, um, I think the, I think I was looking at, I think the least amount I'd made was like 17 something thousand the last, you know, handful of four or five years or something. But no, I mean, I feel like it's, yeah, I mean, you definitely need to win a couple of tournaments a year. Um, if you don't have, I mean, obviously, especially if you don't have other things going on, but yeah, no, I mean, I think an angler that can kind of get around that $20,000 in earnings a year and, you know, maybe has that, uh, you know, maybe gets, to, you know, somewhere half of that from sponsors kind of can, has a chance to maybe kind of do it full time. Um, it's much less like most everyone I know that doesn't have some pretty cool, like side jobs are doing, um, whether it's like printing t-shirts or power washing or, you know, things like that. Yeah, and, and that's the whole dynamic of it. And that's what to get to, uh, I wanted to get at is as, uh, as a person that really kind of relies on at least getting some income back mm -hmm. from tournament winnings, there's a different dynamic because if, you, if you're going out there and you say, you know, I need to catch a check, even if it's not first place to kind of help me out, and there's no off-limit times, and you see, you know, Russ Snyder, Christine Fisher, and even some of the local guys that are saying, man, they're, you know, they can go there anytime. There's no off-limits. That kind of 
puts the pressure on you. In my opinion, I'm not a a national tournament angler like yourself, but I would think that kind of puts the pressure on you. Like, man, I need to get there as early as I can and maybe spend more money in order to give myself the best shot. Whereas if it's only two, three days, then I don't have to, you know, camp out like a week before because I know everybody is at the same playing field. Is is that true? Is that the way you see it? That's definitely the way I'd see it for sure. Interesting stuff. I know. And and it's different dynamics, you know, it's different for a local angler um, Mm -hmm. that lives, you know, 30 minutes, leave an hour or less from the lake than somebody that's traveling like yourself. Again, Russ Snyder, Christian Fisher, or Ryan Lambert, they're constantly traveling and, you know, Airbnbs, gasoline, and all that. And I know sponsorship helps, but it's still an investment. And the challenge for the tournament directors is trying to find that middle ground because the trail cannot hold itself just by anglers to travel nationally because at the very best at at most that's maybe 20 yeah 20. most of it is going to be uh, out of 220 maybe national trail anglers the other 180 are going to be regional or local anglers mm-hmm. so you have to find a way to hey you know we want to help out as a tournament director we want to help out the the guys that are supporting the trail in every state that are traveling but at the same time, if we don't get the local ang- if we don't make rules that the local anglers are happy with, mm-hmm. then you know the payouts not going to be as good. True. And that's I I don't envy AJ or anybody else <laughs> that has to take those decisions. I know there's tough decisions, and I think we all, especially in the podcast world, we all like to play um, tournament director armchair and. <laughs> criticize and make observations where the reality is that there's a lot of tough decisions that go into being a tournament director. So shout out to AJ, Steve Owens, and, and some of the best tournament directors out there locally and nationally for, you know, helping the sport grow. Mm-hmm. Cody, before I let you go, I wanted to give you a, a few minutes to kind of got, you know, plug in your sponsors, anybody that helps you in your kayak fishing. Man, uh, Fish USA. Uh, any online tackle line rods you need Dobbins rods I caught every fish on it's like two tournaments in a row I've caught every fish on a rod that's 68 um 68 683 CB or a 683 which you know I, I don't know I feel like over the years I'd started using such long rods and um I don't know not a lot of people use a 68 rod anymore and I've started to really kind of dive back down to those shorter kind of more accurate rods um Dakota Lithium, um, they've been powering everything from uh, van to depth finder to uh, absolutely everything. Uh, Newport Vessels, it's the, I don't know, it's probably the cheapest way you can kind of get your your kayak powered. And um, the Dakota Lithium 24 volt pack is probably the easiest way to power it. Um, you can, I mean, you can definitely run two 12 volts batteries together for that NK 180, but um, it's pretty plug and play with a 24 volt pack. Um, but that's pretty much it. And Armando, thanks for thanks for having me on. I've oh, always my pleasure, man. Podcast, we've had a good time. No, man, I, my pleasure. I and I again, I do this one for my audience and second to help you guys out. You know, is, is there a little green of sand that I can help out? You get one more sponsor or one more person to buy into an entry fee and help you guys out. That's 
that's all I care about, man. I don't, I don't make a living out of this. Uh, so I, I really appreciate you taking your time, Matt. Dude, thank you. Well, for, for those out there listening, thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, one more question, Cody, what can people follow you on social media? Uh, Kodiak fishing, uh, or Kodiak, I guess it's Kodiak.com and, uh, my Instagram handles Kodiak fishing. There you go. So go follow Kodiak, support Cody and, uh, learn a few things definitely from one of the best that has, uh, graced our sport. So if you're out there listening again, wear your PFDs. If you're going to be on the water and you have a couple of beers, please drink responsibly. Make sure you make it back to your loved ones. Go check out the sponsor, Douglas Outdoors. Go to douglasoutdoors.com. Peace out, everyone. Thank you.